Church, I am so excited to continue on in our series. We're talking about, we started with the idea that God has given us the task, the incredible task of making disciples. We have that in our memory verse. That's called the Great Commission, the Great Commission. And so we've been talking about how God has uniquely gifted each and every person here. If you're here and you're drawing a breath, everybody, take a breath. I hope everybody's drawing a breath. If you're here and you're drawing a breath, God has a place for you in his church and a way for you uniquely to be a disciple maker. He gives you that command, but then he also equips you, gives you everything you need to make that happen. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? And so we're going to be uh, in the book of uh, John. So we're going to take a break from Acts for a minute. We're going to turn to the book of John. So if you got your Bible, I hope you do. Turn to the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We're going to be asking the question, what type of personality strengths did God give me to make disciples? If you guys remember, we talked about Peter. And Peter, you guys remember what his style was? The confrontational style. This guy stood up at Pentecost and basically said, you guys killed Jesus. That's a little confrontational, right? <laughs> and, and so we, we talked about Peter and his confrontational personality. And then we talked about Paul. And you guys, Paul was kind of confrontational too, wasn't he? And we, Paul actually confronted Peter at one time in the Bible. Isn't that funny that the confronter got confronted? That's kind of fun. But Paul, we talked about him as an intellectual style. He saw, he read the lay of the land in, in Athens, and he was able to speak to the culture and the context in such a way that it made sense It made sense to the people at the time. So he was able to share the gospel with them in a way that they could understand and relate to in their culture. So that was Paul. Hey, as we continue on, guys, I want you to get an understanding for this. You don't have to be just a confrontational type or just an intellectual. Does that make sense? As we continue to go through these different personality types, you might find, oh, hey, I'm a little bit of this one, and I'm a little bit of this one, and I'm kind of like this one, and I like this, but I don't like that one. You know, you might find that. This is an exploration to help you discover what's unique to you in Scripture for making disciples, okay? So that's been our heading. That's just a really quick review, and before we jump into John chapter 9, I want to tell you, there is power. There is a lot of power in storytelling, isn't there? Our culture loves stories. You know how we know? One of the biggest industries in the globe right now is the entertainment industry, right? And they write all kinds of sweeping stories that captivate us, that we fall in love with, that we watch, we flock to the movie theaters, or we stream it into our homes now, right? And we love storytelling. We eat it up. Do you know God probably gave us that love for stories? God probably gave us a love for stories because see, the, the principle that we're going to be looking at is that he wrote our story. See, one time I found out that, not one time, multiple times, but I met a young man. Uh, so my, my wife and I went to a wedding several summers ago, and we met a young lady, and my wife was able to share the gospel with her because um, my wife is extremely gifted in gospel sharing and got to see her actually meet Jesus. It was very cool. We can, like, clap for that. It was very cool. And, and she brought her boyfriend, and when I met her boyfriend, I was like, you look oddly familiar. And I found out 
that this young man who was uh, sitting in my living room was, a, was a, once a young boy that I prayed for. See, I worked with his mom many years previous to that when he was about 12 years old. He and he had a twin sister, and, and I remember seeing them. They were both very blonde, and, and I remember seeing them and just praying for them. Like, oh God, oh God, would you see them come to faith? Would you move and work in their life in such a way that we would be able to see them come to Christ? I didn't know, and I never saw them again until I found this young man had grown up into an 18-year-old guy, and now he was sitting in my living room. And you know what? I got to connect to this guy because I shared my story. See, I have a, I have a, sh- a story that I've started to allude at with several of you. I used to wear skull t-shirts. I used to have long black hair. I was, I was a very weird kid in high school. God had to go to work on me. And so as I shared my story with this young man, you know what? He related to it. He found common ground in it. See, God had him in my living room because he was the author of his faith. And he had me there sharing with him my story because he knew my story. God knew my story was going to connect with this young man. And you know what? He met Jesus in my living room. We prayed there and he got to meet Jesus. And it was... (laughs) Amen. That's right. Hey, I love amen. So if you get some amens welling up in you, please feel free to shout them out. But you know what? God has uniquely gifted each one of you with a story for a purpose, for a reason, typically so that you would share it with somebody else, that they would connect to you, and then through you, they would connect to Jesus. So your story matters. Your life, what has gone on, your experience matters. And we're going to see Jesus so tenderly in In chapter 9 of verse John, take a guy and say, hey, your story, your God's story matters. And so would you read along with me chapter 9? I'm going to read uh, here with us fast. I hope you got your Bibles. If you can follow along with me in your Bibles, um, let's read this. Chapter 9, I'm reading in the Holman. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus responds, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus answered, this came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? He just spits on the ground made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on, the, on his eyes. He said, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back. <laughs> you should highlight this in your Bible. He came back seeing. This was a blind man. Washes, comes back seeing. Verse 8, his neighbors and those who formerly had seen him as a beggar said, isn't this the man who sat begging? Some said, he's the one. No, others were saying, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. (laughs) I love that. I'm the one. Therefore, they asked him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Salome and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he? They asked. I don't know, he said. 
He continues in verse 13. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. Everybody say, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. So again, the Pharisees, everybody say, bum, bum, bum. Asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on his eyes, he told them. I washed and I could see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees, bum, 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 said the man is not from God for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened his eyes? So opened your eyes. And the man said, he's a prophet. Verse, uh, picking up verse 18, the Jews did not believe this about him. <laughs> that he was blind and received sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. You know they're questioning if they're like, we got to go to the parents to find out if this is true, if this is real. They went above his head, right? Let's skip on down, um, starting in verse 24. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, he answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I love this, right underline this part in your Bible. In verse 25, he answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, one thing, everybody say one thing. I do know I was blind and now I can see. And then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? So I already told you guys. He said, you and you didn't listen. Why didn't you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? <laughs> well, how do you think they responded to that? We don't want to be his disciples, man. Verse 28, they ridiculed him. You're the man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciple. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. Verse 30, this is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. You're supposed to be the religious, like, people know-it-alls, and you don't know how he did this. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of some, someone opening up the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. And you know what they turn around and do? Verse 34, they try to throw back the old label on him. You were born entirely in sin, they replied. Anybody have your rule out like that? Or rule you out like that? They replied, and are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. Then they threw him out. All right, Lord Jesus, we just pray, God, as we read this long passage, let it not miss our hearts. We wanna look at the story of the blind man and realize exactly what you want us to hear today. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. So let's talk about the blind man. I'm calling this the testimonial style. If you look, I had you highlight under that. All he said is, all I know, I know one thing, one thing. I was blind and now I can see. That's the testimonial style at, at, at the root. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to go into and take five different takeaways. We're going to do five takeaways from the testimonial style of the blind man. Okay, what were this guy's at exploits? Was he impressive? No, he wasn't studied. He was blind. You look, there in verse 1, we find out that he was born blind. He was born blind. We're going to find out in verses 39 through 41 that this passage is trying to show us that we all start blind. 
You see what I'm saying? We all start the same place. All of our stories by God's hand, we, we've been written, but we all start in the same place. You know where that place is? We were blind because of our sin. We define sin. I always have to stop and just depo- like and define sin really quickly. Sin is not just doing bad things. Did you know that? It is doing bad things, but it's not just doing bad things. It's actually not doing what God created you to do. I'll, I'll say that again because we sometimes have a very limited definition of sin. It's not just doing bad things, but it's not doing what God created you to do. Okay, so when we do bad things, did God create us to do bad things? No, he created us. By the way, why were we created? I'm going to answer the big question just kind of really quickly. Why were we created? To glorify God. I love the Westminster uh, Catechism says we were created to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Your task as a human being is to glorify God and enjoy God to the max. He is your highest joy, your highest satisfaction. And so when you settle for something less than God, you're in sin. You see what I did there? That is the Bible's understanding of sin. When we settle for less than God, we are settling, we are walking in sin. And so everyone starts there. Everyone starts in sin. I want you to look at a very important passage in Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. I'm going to read through this. It says, and you were dead. This word right here, dead, it means dead. I looked it up in the Greek. I looked it up in the Hebrew. It means, means dead. <laughs> Tom, you guys, thanks for laughing at that. So um, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all, that word there, all, I looked it up, it means all, Okay, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. <laughs> I wasn't going to crack this joke, but maybe I will. This is the, one of the biggest butts in the Bible, okay? <laughs> Just laugh. I used to be a youth minister, okay? I have to connect. This is but God who is rich in mercy. I love that. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive. We were dead. He made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You were saved by grace together with Christ Jesus. He also raised us up and seated us in the heavens so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Hey, we all had the same start. We were born in sin and we engaged in sin. It is all we ever knew. And we were born as this this man was helpless. See, we all have this start in common. We were born in sin. Just as the blind man was born helpless, we were born helpless and in sin. See, we, were com- we have common ground. So therefore, when we tell our stories, you need to understand that we all have common ground because we all started at the same place in sin. There are no throwaway testimonies. How many of you have thought, well, I grew up in church 
And I've heard this often. Well, my, my testimony is kind of boring, Shane. There are no boring testimonies. Did you know that? We were dead and now we're alive. That's kind of miraculous. Right? That's a big deal. There are no boring testimonies. There are no purposeless testimonies in Christ. There are no throwaways. It reminds me a little bit, well, I'll, here, I'll, I'll skip on to the next, um, just in the interest of time here. Let's, let's jump on. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving here because this is an amazing, amazing story. Um, our stories then we find out picking up in verse 3. Look there in the passage. Neither this man, so Jesus responds to his disciples' question, says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This is interesting because their assumption was what? That he had sinned, that he was facing the consequences of his sin, right? And so that was the disciples' assumption, but then Jesus comes in and says what? He turns it completely upside down. He says, they're not just, they're not, he's not facing the consequences of his sin or somebody else's sin. This is happening so that this came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. His story, where he was at, what was going on with him was for a purpose. It was to glorify God. I want you to know that your story, no matter how much pain, no matter how much hurt, no matter how much strife you faced in life, God can take that and use that to glorify him, to bring about victory. And this is why, ladies and gentlemen, Christians can suffer and we can endure in a way that nobody else can. You know why? Our hurt matters. It has a purpose. And so if you've cried tears and you've had hard times, you can trust and know that those happened and God has a plan in them. It doesn't help. It still hurts, doesn't it? But it is encouraging to know that it's not for, for nothing. Our pain and our suffering is not at a loss. It matters because it glorifies God. It glorifies God. There is no wasted time in the economy of God if he's written our story. That means everything is redeemable by him. So we must share it with whoever will listen. We must appreciate it for the miracle it is. You, if you think about the story that God has given you do, you, do you cherish, do you talk about it, do you tell it to others, what God is doing, has done by bringing you to faith, and what is he doing now? Because God is working now, right now in this room, isn't he? And so are we sharing the story about what God is doing uh, I'm thinking about 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, God's glory is best, or sorry, um, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 talks a little bit. Uh, again, it's another reminder for the Corinthians that they were once in sin. Not for us to forget that we all had the same beginning. Therefore, I want you to, if you're taking notes, write this little saying down. This is immensely helpful for us. Are we the heroes of the story. Are we the heroes of our story? We like to think we are, don't we? We like to think that we're the heroes, but who's the hero of our story? Jesus came in. He burst in on the scene and he saved us. See, God's glory, God's glory is best modeled, not out of perfection, not by being an amazing person, but out of need. I want you to hear that. Some of you are like, I feel weak. Great, because God can use you now. You feel like this life is too much. Great, because God can use you now. Do you feel like you are desperately in need of Jesus's guidance every day? Good, he can use you now. 
For those of us who are like, man, I got this life. It's all good. I'm going to be praying for you. I think God can still use you, but it might be in spite of you. <laughs> okay? Sorry, that was harsh. <laughs> I love you guys. I got I to tell you the truth here, okay? Do we live as if we need God? If we were a people who needs God, this blind man, his need was readily apparent. It was obvious. And Jesus comes in and he's the hero of his story. See guys, modeling weakness is a strength for a Christian. Why can we be the most sincere and genuine and open people? Because God's our redeemer. It doesn't depend on how impressive we are. It depends 100% on how impressive he is. And honestly, the more that we display to this world, I need Jesus, the more they're going to hear this testimony. We're going to be testifying to the grace of the Lord when we display and model our need. And uh, Paul did this, didn't he? Uh, You look, uh, let's see, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, Paul said this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures because Christ, for when I am weak, then, then, that's how this world knows the power of God. When we're willing to admit that we're weak and recognize our weakness. We spend a lot of time trying to convince ourselves that we don't have those, don't we? Christians, can I just like set us free this morning? Let's stop doing it. Let's just stop doing it. We are in desperate need of Jesus. Uh, So our story glorifies God. It glorifies God. It is undeniable. It is undeniable. This is so cool. So I, I get excited about this. The Pharisees get all kind of upset about this testimony that's going on from the blind man, right? And they grill him. They're like trying to, you ever tried to uh, hear the information or try to discover what you want and you just can't? So you keep asking until you get the answer that you want? Our children do this all the time, right? Just going to keep asking until I get it. So the Pharisees think, hey, if I keep asking, I'm going to hear that Jesus didn't do or there was something that went wrong. But it was undeniable. The blind man's testimony was undeniable. Guys, this is so cool. We can use the culture against itself in this. We live in a relativist culture. Nobody wants to tell you no or that that didn't happen. We can use that to our advantage. So nobody's going to say that No, man, that didn't happen. Your testimony didn't happen. Your testimony, the story that God has given you is undeniable in today's world. Not just because of the culture. It is undeniable because of the truth that's in it. But our culture, it refuses to argue against it. So we should be people who talk about what God is doing all the time in our life. Because it is an undeniable truth. Your testimony can't be argued against, just as the Pharisees couldn't argue against the blind man's testimony. They can't argue about what God has done in your life. That's cool. There's a lot of debating going on in our world, isn't there? You know what's undebatable? What God has done in your life. That's how you testify. It is undeniable. Our stories start the same. They glorify God. They're undeniable. And it's all we need to share. I took you to that that passage I had you underline, verse 25, when the blind man stands up and he says, one thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Was this dude a theologian? No, (laughs) 
probably a more accurate theologian than some today, right? But all he knew was he was blind and then he could see. Guys, that is a testimony. That is a testimony. And it's all we need to start sharing the gospel and making disciples. A lot of times when I ask youth or to ask students, even when I ask adults, they're like, oh, I have to read the Bible through 10 more times before I feel like I'm going to be ready to make disciples. This dude hadn't even seen scripture yet. He was just like, look what Jesus has done. This is awesome. Some of you, man, that is your testimony. That is the personality that God has given you. And that is the power to make disciples that God has given you. Stop waiting. You don't need anything else. You've got all that you need. God has written your, snor- your story, not your snorry, your story. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. So the last thing I want to leave you with is a takeaway. It comes out of verse 34. Um, you were born entirely in sin, they replied. So the, the Pharisees are upset by this testimony. They're feeling threatened by it. And they try to put a label back on this blind man, don't they? They try to take it and say, oh, he's a sinner. They try to label you. Hey, by the way, this is the enemy's tactic for today. We are waging an identity war. This culture, the world, and the enemy want to paint you an identity. They want you to be defined by what you do. They want you to be defined by what you like. They want you to be defined by your likes and desires. Even your sexuality is a battleground because this world wants to pigeonhole you into an identity so they can tell you who you are. That's what the Pharisees tried to do with the blind man. Don't let this culture do that to you because we have the identity of righteousness in Christ. We have the identity now that we are believers in God, that we are sons and daughters of God. I love to take my daughter aside and I love to say, honey, you need to understand that you are a princess. She's like, oh, dad, that's just for stories. I'm like, no, honey, you are a princess to the most high king. You've been adopted by the creator of the universe. You are a princess of God. Guys, that doesn't sound as manly to us, but we're princes, right? We were, we were given the righteousness of God. We are called saints, not because of our righteousness, because of his. That is your identity. And nothing else and no one else should be, don't let any of them try to pigeonhole you or define you. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so if you're here and you have a rough story, maybe you've messed up. Man, memorize Romans 8. I have that memorized in my heart, man. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My debt has been paid. Do I still mess up? You better believe it. I try to do better every day. But you know what? My debt is paid. My debt is paid. Our past no longer defines us. Jesus gives us our new title. So, guys, those are five takeaways. So what? I want you to know your story. Know your God's story. Maybe write it out. Grab a journal. Sit down and write out, what has God done in my life? How did I find myself here? Have I let Jesus take control of my life? Is he now Lord of my life? I want you to write that out. And maybe you get done writing that and you find out, I've been living for myself. It's not too late. Jesus is still the author of your faith. Know your God's story. So much so that you can do the long version and the short version. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, I can give the long version and we could be here for 30 hours. That's great. 
But in a casual conversation, you're going to need to know the 30-second, the one-minute, the two-minute version of what God is doing and what God has done in your life. Know your God story. Share what God is doing and what he has done. By the way, is God, I, I, have to, I have to remind us always and remind myself, God is working today. I went to a, a conference or a pastor's retreat, and the pastor told us, how has God, he said, ask yourself this every time you go into church, how has God changed your life forever today? What if we went into every day like that? How has God changed your life forever today? Do you walk away from church going like, yes, my life has changed forever? Can you imagine if we were skipping out those doors like that? <laughs> People in the neighborhood would be like, what is going on? What, what are they doing at that church? Share what God has done and what he's doing. And hey, brothers and sisters, we're not impressive. Stop trying to be. Let's boast in our weakness, like Paul said. Boast in our weakness. <laughs> I'm, I'm a weak, weak man. Emotionally, I'm weak. Physically, I'm very weak. I found that out as we worked hard this last weekend. I am in desperate need. Spiritually, I'm desperately weak. And I need Jesus in every moment. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. Are you brave enough to do the same? I'm going to invite my wife to come up. And uh, we're going to... Um, perform a song, and uh, this is going to be maybe different um, from what you guys have done, but uh, I wanted to just give the kids, the students that are going to be baptized, we want to give you some time to go and get changed. So over this next song, um, let's uh, send you to the back. We've got girls over here um, for the baptism, and then guys over here uh, for the baptism. And Okay. But I want you to Maybe close your eyes. Close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to think about this. I want you to just pray. I want you to, to pray to the Lord and be thinking about this idea that we are spiritually blind. Let's go ahead and close your eyes. Close your eyes. And this is a song about a, a blind man that calls out to Jesus, calls him the son of David. And he calls out to him for help. I want you to put yourself in his shoes. You are blind and you cannot see and you hear this commotion. You hear this commotion about the son of David coming to town and you hear that he's healing people. He's giving people back their sight, but you can't see. You can't go to him. You can't reach out to him. But if only you could reach out to him, just maybe he would give you back your sight. Would you close your eyes and just put yourself in the position of this man?
If I could see, I would reach out to Jesus, we praise you and thank you, God, that you restored our spiritual sight by coming, living the perfect life, and then giving us your righteousness by dying on the cross, Lord. I pray that you would help us to believe and take that righteousness on today. Let today be the day of our salvation. Let today be the day. If there's somebody here, God, who is spiritually blind, I pray today would be the day that you would bring them into spiritual sight. Lord, we pray that. For the believers, God, would you help us to be people who speak your story, who shout your story, who love the story that you've given us. 
God, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.